Radio, the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. My name's Farhan, also known as Gunner since 96. And joining me here this evening to discuss Arsenal's emphatic victory against Chelsea at the Emirates Stadium is Adam, who was at the game this evening. So Adam, first things first, how are you doing? How was the journey getting down to London? Because I know you had to travel uh, quite a fair bit, didn't you? And, you know, a, a an, an amazing game to attend, you know, especially on the back of um, a very disheartening defeat. Um, this was exactly the response that we were looking for, weren't we? Yeah, absolutely. It's been a great night and uh, journey down wasn't too bad. So I live in the northeast of England, so it's about a two and a half, three hour train journey down. So it, it's not too bad and give me some time to write some some Arsenal content for the Arsenal Therapy blog. And uh, so, yeah, the journey down was good. And then straight over to the Emirates and it felt good to be back. It's been so, too long. Let me get this right. You you don't live in Ireland? No, no, I don't live in Ireland. I live in England. <laughs> okay. So I was under the assumption all this time that, you know, you're living in Ireland. So where, I don't know how much of this you want to give away. Um, what part of the, uh, England are you are you residing in? So I live in Teesside. I lived in Newcastle for no 14 way. years and I live in Teesside now. So that's where my wife's from and she dragged me down so about 18 months ago. Our very own James is actually from that same part as well. I mean, he's in Blythe. Is that how you pronounce it? Blythe? Yeah, Blythe is a, about 20 minutes outside Newcastle. Oh, look at that. Well, there you go. So I don't know. There's some sort of weird energy between the Arsenal Therapy podcast and that part of England, but I'm liking it. (laughs) I'm digging it. So, all right, cool. Um, Well, yeah, you know, it's always, it's always good coming down for a game when I guess you're expected to win. Was that kind of the feeling that you had as you were making your journey down? (laughs) Not at all. Really? Absolutely not. I think I, I was more nervous about this because it's a game we should have won. Mm. But given the performances over the last few weeks that we should have beat West Ham, we should have beat Southampton. City was a different animal. But whenever we're playing a game like this, I do get really nervous because I'm thinking we should be going out and beating them. And then because it's Chelsea as well, I was just saying um, Arsenal's slump continues as Chelsea end five, six game (laughs) losing streak. And I was thinking... This will be the game Obama Yang actually does something. Mm. What if Mudrick scores? And I had all this going through my head. But once I got to the ground, I settled very quickly and I just got into the mood and I had a great seat. I was just above the dugout, right below the gantry. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, had a very good view of Frank Lampard uh, the whole way th- through the game. And uh, But yeah, pretty much on the halfway line. And my nerves settled until it kicked off. And then it was quite a frantic start. But but yeah, I do always have that nervousness about games that we should win compared to games that, when it's a big game, I think I've got that anticipation where I can't wait for it to kick off. I'm also a bit scared, but also hopeful that we're going to come away with something. Whereas in games like that, when a big team are playing really badly and we should go out and beat them, Mm. I, I do get this nervousness, and I think it's the. I, I think it's mainly off the back of our per month that we've had in April, rather yeah. than anything else. But how, how did you feel going into this? 
Yeah, so actually, I was kind of the opposite. I was surprisingly quite relaxed about it all. And I think it's it, it comes off the back of such an awful week, you know, digesting all that, um, I guess, the information, the content, the post-match, uh, I don't know, dread of knowing that you've handed it to City um because I, I mean you know i kind of put off consuming anything for the first few days after recording the pod with you um i felt a little bit better but then it kind of crept back in that really weird feeling of knowing that destiny isn't in our hands but at the same time it was like a massive weight lifted off my shoulders a little bit so i guess leading up to this game it was nice to know that we were going to play without the added pressure of knowing we're going to have to win this game. Otherwise, we're handing the title to C. Since we've done that, I felt like the boys just could go out there and go out there and just um, express themselves like they have been throughout the course of the season. Um, usually, you know, an hour before the game, I'm, you know, in front of the TV, ready, got all the news up, just, you know, wrapping my head around, <laughs> uh, starting lineups and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I found myself half an hour before the game, you know, laying down on my bed. Um, I've somehow suffered this really weird backache from um, I'm getting into I'm getting back into kind of running and you know fitness and that kind of stuff so the last few runs have been really painful and for, I've done something on my back so I was I'm not able to really um, function as much so I was just laying down on my bed just resting a little bit and I just checking the time I'll go down you know when there's 10 minutes to go um, wasn't really that interested in the whole build-up of it, even though it was a London derby. I just felt, yeah, I just felt really relaxed about it all. Although in the back of my mind, I did think uh, it would be so Arsenal-like to give Chelsea their first victory under Frank Lampard um, and just really throw the league title away. But yeah, I mean, because, I guess because the discourse of this season has been Arsenal playing such fluid, imaginative, attractive football without that narrative or about the title narrative um, because it only really got serious when we had the league title in our sights. I mean, as fans, we've had it kind of since January, you know, as, as a, uh, you know, whether you want to take it seriously or not, um, that, that, that conversation has been a continued theme, but for the players, it's always been the next game, the next game. It's always been, how are we going to, overcome the opposition in front of us um, and it did very much feel like that tonight but tell me what was the I guess the atmosphere and the overall feeling like at the Emirates were other fans kind of feeling that um, sense of you know nervousness I didn't really feel a nervousness tonight um, I've seen a lot on Twitter in the last few games that there's been a real nervous energy and I guess there was that expectation of the title and everything that comes with it was kind of lifted. And it was more, right, let's go out and win this game as opposed to we need to win this game to stay in the title race. It was we need to win this game to keep the pressure on City and ensure they do it. And I, I felt there was, certainly where I was sitting, it was more relaxed and... People were in plenty of song. There was a great atmosphere, very lively. And it's the first time I've been to the Emirates this season. And mm. it's it's the loudest I've seen it for a long time. It's I know we've all heard so much about how great the atmosphere is, how much everything's changed. And it was the first time I've seen it like that because I used to do about 25 games a season home and away. Mm. And 
I, I would sit in the Emirates most weeks and it would be very, very quiet. And it, it was only whenever like we were playing against the big team and things were going well that there would be a lot of noise. But today it was just from the get-go, everyone was up for it. And that's how it's been all season. And that's what we've seen through the telly. And yeah, it was just, there was just a great buzz around the ground and it was really great to be back. Mm. And it was nice to see that there weren't that many empty seats. I mean, I thought it would be, and we were to have a quick chat before the game. And I just felt like, because I was seeing a, a, a load of tickets um, being, you know, sold and offered. I thought, especially it being a midweek game as well and, you know, schedule changing, uh, there may be empty seats, but it looked like a pretty packed out um, Emirates Stadium. And I'll tell you something that put my nerves at ease a little bit. Um, and that was the starting lineup. So when it first came out, I saw, you know, I was in shock. It was the exact same starting lineup as, you know, the one against City. And then two minutes later, I checked again and it had changed. I don't know, maybe there was a glitch in the system or the app that I'm using is maybe a bit dodgy. But um, it was really nice and refreshing to see that the changes us fans wanted was reflected on the team sheet, on the team lineup. So, um, you know, Kivior in for holding, uh, you know, Tierney not in for Zinchenko. I would have liked to have seen Tierney on the on the, on the the pitch, but, you know, he made an appearance afterwards. Um, but I guess the main one, which had all fans talking all week, was whether Trossard was going to start, whether he deserved to, you know, have that place. Um, and to our surprise, or maybe not, Trossard came in for Martinelli. Um, but the big surprise for me was Jorginho in for Partey. Didn't see that one coming, but in hindsight, um, a really good tactical decision made by Arteta. Really um, intelligent move because it set the tempo of that first half. And I don't know whether having party there would have made a difference, but I think it just eased everyone's nerves a little bit, especially since um, the last few performances from party. And I don't want to, you know, blame him too much. I don't want to dig him out too much because I think he's been excellent and I feel like he's he's had to carry that space a lot by himself for a large part of the of the of the season. Um but yeah Jorginho for me really really big surprise. Uh what did you make of the starting lineup? Did you feel like it was needed that much change was needed? Um did you feel like there were players on the bench who maybe deserved um, you know, run out as well. What was your initial uh, impressions? Yeah, I, I liked the lineup. It was kind of I, I've written a couple of pieces this week about those changes, particularly Trossard and Jorginho. Um, I would have liked to either have seen Jorginho in a double pivot or replacing Party. There is something with Party at the minute. I'm not sure if he's playing through an injury. Um, I know Simon Collins talked about it a bit during the week. Uh, that there have been whispers that he's picked up something because he hasn't been right since the international break. Mm. Uh, and however, that's still unconfirmed. Um, but yeah, I felt that given how poor he's been in the last few weeks, it was worth bringing on in Jorginho. And for me, we bought Jorginho for this reason. And that's something that I've been a bit frustrated with Arteta in recent weeks about the, the reluctance to bring Jorginho on. Mm. And uh, but he did tonight, and I thought Jorginho was very good. I was I wanted Trossard on the pitch as well. 
I probably would have dropped Jesus, but um, given that Martinelli was her against City, but has been in an electric form coming into that, I thought it was maybe a bit harsh that he was dropped tonight. But again, I felt it was getting Trossard on the pitch was the key thing. And then with Kivior, I, I was pleased to see Holding not playing. It was more, I'll be honest, I've been very reluctant to criticise Holding because I think he's a player that's playing to the absolute max of his limitations. Mm. And But tonight, I just wanted him out of the team. And it's the first time I've felt that way about a player for a long time where I, I think it's just so evident how big the drop-off is that against City, he couldn't even do the kind of fundamentals of defending. And that's the big worry. So for me, having a left footer at right centre back isn't the end of the world, especially given how bad holding's been. But but yeah, I, I was pleased with the lineup. However, when I was walking to the game, I was thinking, this is what I wanted and now I'm scared. <laughs> yeah, because we've got it wrong before, haven't we? Um, yeah. With with lineups and you know we we we've, we've often criticised Arteta for over tinkering, but th- I mean this felt like the right time uh, coming off the back of you know four not so great um, results, and you know as you were saying, this Chelsea game could have been a fifth. Um, it had all the hallmarks, <laughs> you know, to to be, to be another dreadful day or dreadful night for Arsenal, but. Those changes for me show signs of experience first and foremost, um, and a level of maturity from Arteta because yeah. he he's 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 not. I mean, the, you can you can you can always tell from a manager whether they are, I guess, confident in themselves and whether they are sure of themselves by certain decisions that they make at certain crucial periods in their managerial tenure the first one for me that showed me off the bat that he is the right man for Arsenal was his mentioning of the non-negotiables that showed me that he's mature enough to to, you know to take on such a big role the second decision was the decision to sell Aubameyang which was a massive one it could have you know destroyed him but ultimately the right call and the third one are these really kind of small um, you know little in-game management decisions and team selection choices. Um, and yeah, it, it fills me with great, I guess, confidence to know that that trajectory continues to go up to yeah. you know, bring players out who uh, don't necessarily need to be played, put players in who um, may make a change. I mean, I would have loved to have seen Nelson start. Uh, ultimately, you know, manager knows better than me or you um who's training well and who is absolutely ready for first team football uh but yeah you know trossard um uh, uh Jorginho and even you know kivio who we're going to discuss all showed up put in really good performances and were highly influential throughout especially that first half um now i'm, I'm getting the feeling that over the course of the rest of the episode a lot is going to be a back and forth comparison between the city game and tonight's performance because they were polar opposites, um, striking differences, and you know, start contrasting individual performances as well. That first ten minutes compared to the city's first ten minutes is was unrecognizable. For one, you know, when I mean the first thing that I noticed 
um, was the body language in the tunnel. It felt a little bit strange and eerie for me because usually, uh, you know, we've seen, maybe I'm reading into this too much, but I felt like I needed to. I felt like I needed to just look at them and to see what frame of mind, try and guess what frame of mind they were in. Um, and usually a really focused Arsenal squad, uh, you know, looking straight ahead, razor sharp focused. Uh, some of them looked a little bit, you know, uneasy, a little bit nervous. And it could have went either way, but I was really pleased to see a quick start from Arsenal. Um, they looked really intense from the get-go, both on and off the ball. Kivior looked a little bit sloppy in the early stages of the game, but it was it was it was nice to see that that was overshadowed by the fact that Chelsea were just awful. Low in confidence, letting us press them all over the pitch. Um, and, you know, they were passing the ball back instead of forward. So that helped. But I don't want to take away from how good we were because, you know, whilst Chelsea were trying to build up tentatively, we were closing down the spaces. We were, it was a measured approach. It wasn't a, you know, everyone go for the ball. It was a close down the space let them feel like, you know, suffocated um, and then win the ball back as quickly as possible. And, you know, an early chance from Granit Xhaka closes down uh, the keeper. Aspelacueta's header lacks the power to get to the keeper. And, you know, first signs that Arsenal are here to compete and Arsenal are here to open the scoreline really, really early on. You obviously got a bird's eye view of the entire pitch. Um, what did you make of the opening 10 minutes? It was a bit frantic. Um Kivior was shaky. He had a couple of moments very early on. There was one, and it it was possibly with the Bamiyang. He had a duel, mm. an aerial duel, and he he didn't quite commit to it. He went in, and he he just didn't fully engage, and he lost that. About two minutes later, he had a sloppy pass, um, either inside or just outside our box, and uh, that again led to Chelsea picking up possession and recycling it. However, he quickly settled, and with that, the rest of the team settled very quickly. So it was one of those first few minutes, most games are like that, where there is that kind of ball bouncing everywhere. But we quickly got a real grasp on that game, and I think a lot of that calmness came from Jorginho. Hmm. Um, watching him live, he's, he's a player that I've really liked him for a long time, but he is that coach on the pitch. He's pointing, he's shouting, and he, he really roars at players. And he's not scared to like tell them exactly where they need to be. And I felt that was part of what helped us balance. And uh, same with Shaka, he was very much given, taking on that leadership role. And Odegaard was just running and pressing. And hmm. that was, I think, between those three, that kind of went through to the front three as well. And that, that energy that we had was just building up as a team and Chelsea couldn't live with us. But yeah, the first 10 minutes, I, I was disappointed that we didn't score in the first 10 because it was one of those I was thinking, how, how have we not, how are we not a goal up already? Because we started controlling it so quickly and there's always that, that fear again whenever you, you don't capitalise on your dominance that they kind of hit you on the break and score or something like that. But overall, I, I was impressed with the first 10. And I thought, despite a couple of shaky moments from Kivior, we very quickly saw the, the, the ability he has on the ball, which is 
definitely much closer to Saliba than it is to holding in terms of like one or two touches. He doesn't want to hold on to it. He was composed and he, he looked ready to play. So, so yeah, overall first 10, I was impressed. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I tweeted out there, I think in the 15, 10, 15 minute mark that give you needed at least, you know, 25, 30 minutes just to settle himself into the game without making any major kind of blunders as well, because, um, and you know, Arteta made the, uh, the point uh, at the end of the game that it was a difficult choice, um, a difficult decision to put him into such a big game in his first Premier League uh, uh, start, I think. Well, definitely his pref- first Premier League start, but his first Premier League appearance as well. So uh, did I get that right? Or- no, he came on against uh, Palace and made a very good tackle. Ah, okay. on, and Fine. he came on against Liverpool. Okay, fine. So his first Premier League start, <laughs> we de- we got we definitely got that one right, and I felt yeah. like he just needed to settle himself. And actually, as the game went on, he did look a lot more confident on the ball. His touches were a lot sharper. I just think that's natural, you know. Um, and you know, as- aside from Kivior, I there seemed to be a real sense of urgency to score as soon as possible. Unlike the past few performances where we were very much like tentative to approach the ball, tentative to close down spaces. It it almost felt inevitable that we were, we knew what we needed to do to score and we just needed to get the ball in the back of the net as soon as possible before, um, you know, we, we, we allowed Chelsea to get the belief of um, competing. For, for the game and absolutely yeah and you know like like you mentioned Odegaard for me was an incredible performance uh, example of what you need to be doing week in week out in order to you know compete and and be at the races um there was this big whole debate you know as there has been as well throughout the last I guess month or so about um, whether Arsenal can call this season a success or not, based on whether they, you know, win the league or not, and I think Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank said, you know, they have been top for the majority of the season. They may not have expected to be there, but they're there, and to you know drop an eight point lead is not good enough. Um, and you know, me and my wife were having a dinner at the time and she said, you know what? I kind of agree with that guy. And I turned to her, I gave, you know, gave her a look as to, you know, say, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Try to explain to her, look, in order to win a league title, there are certain things that you need. Um, you know, some may say luck plays a part in it, but with all the previous Premier League sides who have won it, there, there's always been an element of experience, composure, and yeah, I guess level-headedness as well as confidence. Now we have to remember that this squad is what the youngest squad in the Premier League. We have what is it the youngest manager in the Premier League as well? And so I think it's really unfair to put this expectation that these players need to be delivering week in week out when they haven't yet arrived at that point of their career. These guys are you know 22, 23, 24 year olds. And to expect that from someone like Odegaard is really harsh, in my opinion. So although it was really refreshing to see Odegaard back at his best, um, you know, I guess there was this discourse of, well, why didn't we see this against City? Why didn't we see this against West Ham? Um, but, you know, it just reminded me again that there is so much 
that they're yet to experience. And it's, I think I've come to a point now where it, it might sound crazy to some, but in the grand scheme of things, looking at it from a really large picture, it, do, it doesn't bother me too much. It won't bother me too much if Arsenal end up not winning the Premier League. What bothers me is to see my club doing so well, dropping off and then not being able to pick themselves back up again. But to see that performance, especially that 10-15 opening, you know, uh, first half, to see that just reminds me and allows me to um, understand that we are where we are because of the project that the club have committed to. And it shows that the project is working because of that first half that we saw. Odegaard Zinchenko, delightful in the opening 10 minutes, moving the ball really quickly, really engaging in the build-up as well. Very conscious of where their teammates are. Usually, when you lose, when you get battered um, against your you know, title rivals, like the way and the manner in, in which we did, it's incredibly difficult to lift yourselves back up. Um, you know, we've seen a number of teams who have lost cup finals, league cup finals, and they have suffered immensely throughout the course of the season. And for Arsenal to pull out that performance, to it wasn't it wasn't a scrappy affair. It wasn't as if we were, you know, battling duels with Chelsea players in midfield. We had them all over the pitch. Um, and so it brings me to the first goal. And that goal itself is, you know, an example of what we've been doing all season and a reaffirming example that, look, we are good enough to win the league. And I go as far as to say we're probably good enough to do this again next season because of the hard work that we've um, built over the course of the season. Talk me through this first goal. Well, it's... I, I can't actually remember who started the move off. It, it was no, one neither, of can that, neither can I. Neither can I, yeah. It was one that came about through a lot of possession and Chelsea were getting deeper and deeper and deeper and we were getting more advanced with every... It. I think it, it goes back to what we've discussed over the last few weeks about playing football in the opposition's half, hmm. about when we had Saliba, we, our centre-backs were in their half and against City, there were times where they had their deepest centre-back 10 yards into our half. That's how we were playing earlier in the season, and that's what we've lost over the last month. Tonight, Chelsea were really deep because our centre-backs were really pushing up, playing that high line, and it meant that we were squeezing them. So I think, um, just from memory, because I've, I've literally only seen a quick clip of the goal, I think it's Trossard, Shaka, and um, Zinchenko that the balls played between. And then it's a super ball in from Shaka. It's one of those... When I saw it, I was thinking it was just kind of a, a bit of a loose ball across that wasn't going anywhere. And then Odegaard pops up and it's inch perfect. And when I've watched the replay back, it's, it's very clear Shaka knows exactly what he's doing. And it's something that looks like it's straight off the training ground because the interchange between the three players before the the pass is played into Odegaard, 
it, it's very clear, defined movement. And it's kind of like what we saw earlier in the season when Jesus was dropping and switching with Martinelli mm. and um, Shaka was going out very wide and Zinchenko was popping in. And that, to me, was a training ground goal. I thought it was just one of those inch-perfect passes, such a good pass that you you don't need to take a touch. It's a striker's dream, and Odegaard connects perfectly. And for me, I had the perfect view of that goal hitting the back of the net, and it was one of those just superb strikes that we, we know that Odegaard can do that, and his shooting this season has just come on another level because when he arrived, I, I didn't see that in his game at all. And I, I was kind of leaning towards James Madison at one point whenever we were linked with the two because of Madison's shooting ability. But just the level that Odegaard's reached this season with his ball striking is something that I didn't expect to be the next level in his game. But yeah, just a super goal. And it just kind of, it came at a time when we really needed it because we were really, really dominated them at that point. Yeah, yeah. It was a wonderful example of what we can do when we're at our best. And as you mentioned, and I actually wrote this down on my notes as I was watching the goal, it was beginning to feel like a training drill <laughs> with the ball just being passed around without any pressure. And I guess to some extent, it frustrates me that we weren't given a, a harder game than maybe we should have. Um, it was a London derby. Didn't feel like it as much because we were so good. But I, 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 I hope that maybe Chelsea would turn up a little bit, turn, turn up the pressure a tiny bit, just so I could see what we're really made of. Um, you know, looking forward to the next two games, which is Newcastle and Brighton. But this one, you know, the Chelsea shirts are just stood still. Jesus is allowed to, um, I guess, the ball is allowed to be rolled into Jesus without anyone intercepting. He then puts it out wide into Shaka. Shaka's allowed to take a few touches, scuffs a, a you know a pass into Odegaard, and the finish is great. It comes off the the post, the bar, and in, in into the back of the net. Um, however, since that goal, it did feel to me watching it on the TV screen that the tempo had s- slowed down a little bit. Um, that we looked like we were cruising a little bit, and that for me is something that I can't get used to. Um, It's really frustrating when we're playing so well, we get a goal, and then all of a sudden we decide to just take our foot off the gas a little bit. Did it feel like that at the stadium? Yeah, definitely. And not long after we scored, um, Chilwell got in behind and had a very, very good chance that was, I thought he was going to, hit hard and low bottom corner and he's he's a player that can score goals whenever he gets in good positions and it was probably a sign of Chelsea's confidence just how poor they've been but it was a good save from Ramsdale because it, it was a decent strike probably at a nice height that you would expect him to make the save but it was a big warning sign because they were getting a bit of joy down that side um, Sterling had turned uh, white far too easily at one point and Sterling was causing a few problems. He, we weren't winning the ball off him. He was he was able to hold on to it too easily, as opposed to making threatening runs. He was able to pull it back with ease and lay it off to a teammate. And that was definitely a worry for me because he he still got a lot of quality. And it's a case of he's playing on a very bad team, as opposed to he's a bad player. 
But yeah, I, I do agree with you. It did feel like the, when we scored, suddenly the intensity dropped a bit. And I think it was that Chilwell chance, which I'm not sure exactly when it was, but it started to waken us up just yeah. a bit more. Mm-hmm. And that that's a real worry for me, is that we, we've had those this season where Ramsdale's made a big save and it's waking the whole team up. Or we've conceded a goal and it's wakened everyone up and we've kind of got going again. However, Southampton, for example, or West Ham, there's two games where we had we had a, the warning signs of the first goals against both and we just couldn't get ourselves going again. So, again, when Chilwell had that chance tonight, I had it in my head thinking that when he's gone through, what if this is the same again? So, mm. so yeah, the... the Drop off in intensity was a bit of a worry, but then we did pick ourselves back up again, and the crowd definitely helped with that. And but yeah, the time he came to the second goal, I think it was very much needed, and Chelsea's heads dropped so fast at that point. So, what were your thoughts on? The, I guess the build up to the second goal, like those few minutes before it. Did you notice a? an increase of intensity a few minutes before them mm-hmm. after maybe 10 minutes of slight complacency. Yeah, look, I literally wrote it down here. Since Chilwell's shot, we've woken up a little bit by pressing more aggressively. Um, and I actually wanted to ask you this because it seems to be a recurring theme in in, in the games where we suffer that we open the scoreline or we concede really early on. Um and for some reason the attitude changes, the mentality, the mindset shifts. I'm not going to ask, I'm not, I don't want to f- try and find out what, what causes this. Cause I think there are far too many factors, but whose responsibility is it to encourage everyone around them to go again? Who plays that role? Are we missing that individual or is there someone in that squad who's responsible for making sure that that level of intensity, that level of tempo is kept at a constant, even after scoring one or two? I think that comes down to what you were saying about Odegaard being 24 and those parts of his game still developing. He was very much the player shouting at everyone, leading the press and uh, really trying to keep everyone alive. Jesus was uh, chasing quite a bit as well. However, I think that's where you want all your senior players to do it, not just one player. And again, when you look at City, for example, you've got a team full of players. You've got even Kyle Walker that they've just brought back into the team. Mm. He's a player that kind of, he's just a very solid player. Um, you've got your Stones, your Rodri, Gundogan, De Bruyne and so on that all just step up and ensure that concentration is continuous. And I think that's the, the next step for Arsenal. And part of it will come from just maturity. Mm. So... Uh, there are times where I think that you can see a little bit of naivety in the team, but also when you look at the development from this time last year to where we're at now, even I was thinking at the start of the game, it kind of sums up the the growth in certain players. Before he got injured and at the start of the season, Jesus was our best player. I don't think he is anymore. I think other players have, like Odegaard and Saka, have moved past him and are probably going to start next season in that category and it's on Jesus now to prove himself so I think 
in terms of those players that are, are the individuals that are ensuring that we keep up the intensity. I think that's a team thing, and I think that's going to come with maturity as the likes of Saka and Odegaard and Martinelli just get those extra games and probably not so much games, but situations under the belt. Like this is the first time they've been in a title race. When you're going for top four, you can afford to lose quite a few games. When you're going for a title against Man City, you can barely afford to lose any games. And I think that's the difference. It's realizing that with top four, if you want to be that level of player, you can, I guess, coast through some games. If you want to be at the level of winning titles, you just need to basically, the minute there's a dip, everyone reacts. And I think that's what we're seeing with City. That's what we saw with Liverpool over the years. It was 11 players on the pitch taking responsibility. I know I might be jumping the gun a little bit here, but uh, in the summer, do you think then it's... The, the next phase of this evolution is to recruit a few um, older heads, maybe those that are in their prime, those that are um, those those who can, you know, be those individuals, leaders, the ones you look at when you enter the periods or when you're, you know, two or three up and you need to just, you know, be ruthless and score more. Yeah, and I think a big thing that I've been harping on a lot about this season is running power and in the engine room. So Declan Rice is someone that I would absolutely love at Arsenal. I think he fits that category of a leader. He's 24. He's got a lot of experience. He's a leader, West Ham captain, uh, England pretty much guaranteed starter. But he's a player that there's still loads and loads of room for improvement. Yeah. And especially if you had a proper coach that he worked for instead of David Moyes. And, uh, but also he is that player that fits the, the kind of captaincy type player. And um, as a, in the form of another leader in the squad, he also has the running plot power that I think Shaka and party both lack at times. Yeah. And, um, I think there, he's just got a lot of tenacity about his game that sometimes you need whenever it, it, it's, it, I know it's a cliche, but a crunch and tackle can wake up a crowd and it can get the whole team going. And I think a character like that is definitely someone that I would like to see added to Arsenal. But yeah, I, I think in the summer, I would be surprised if we saw any, really young players coming in for big fees. And I Mason Mount's a similar character that again very intelligent. Um he's got a huge amount of experience under his belt, has played big games, won the Champions League. And he's a player that's just had a bad season, but he was great last year under Tuchel and kind of fits that leadership um experience category. Uh, so yeah that's where I hope that we'll look in the summer is just increasing the experience, but not in the way we did with Adam, the likes of Jorginho. So that kind of 24 year old that's played a lot of games, but still has plenty of room to grow. So is that what you're thinking or have you got completely different views? Uh, kind of, uh, no, not completely different, but look, I think, I think what Arsenal are missing right now are a few more 
maybe it might sound controversial, but I think having a few more Jorginho type profile players is good. I think we need more firepower on the bench. Um, and one player that I was looking at tonight, um, you know, before you shoot me down, I'm not suggesting that Arsenal go and buy him, but someone that fits the profile of Aspilicueta is what Arsenal need for that next phase. Because if you look at the second half and you, if you, if you, if you um, break down the way that Chelsea kind of claw back a bit of dominance, it's through the sheer willpower and tenacity of him. Um, you know, just having a real bite, having a real go, not being, you know, a prick about it, not being cynical, but just showing a bit of fight, showing a bit of um, responsibility, I guess. And maybe we're just missing one or two more of those. Uh, now, I do agree. I think we need a few, maybe two or three superstar signings who are really in their primes. But I, equally, I think one or two more individuals who have been there, done that, 28, 29, slash maybe 30, just to balance the books out a little bit. Because when moments... Um, when we enter phases in the game where it's you're 2-0 up, you're 3-0 up, and you really need to close the game down before um, a, a different team of quality can easily claw it back, you know, I, I think that's what that's that that's what makes the difference. Um luckily tonight we didn't have to really rely on individuals like that because Chelsea were just hopeless. Um, he kind of felt for them a little bit. There was, a, I think, it was a moment in the game where it was four on four. They were on the break. Maybe another team would have punished us. Um, they had players open on either flanks and still managed to scuff the opportunity. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the perfect time for us to have, have, have played them. I think anyone playing them are favourites because they're just so disconnected, so disjointed, and actually. It's probably why Arsenal go on to score two consecutive goals in a short period of time, starting with that second Odegaard goal, um, which again, very similar to the first one. Brilliant, brilliant play. We completely opened them up on the left-hand side. Um, you know, lovely triangular movements between Jesus, Trossard, Shaka, um, you know, all in, I guess, sync with the different passing and movements um, going on. And this is Arsenal at their best. It's not just making passes in between the lines. It's also making sure that as soon as you release the ball, you're moving into the correct space so that not only are you making yourself available, but you're creating the space. Um, and if there's one thing that Arteta has executed in the way that we play football, it's understanding space. It's understanding how to create the right amount of space and also out of possession, how to suffocate and make the pitch smaller. But in this instant, when Odegaard scores his second goal, the football in the left-hand side is so brilliant. It's, you know, inch perfect because if you look back, there are still quite a few, few blue shirts. There are one, two, three, maybe if you wanted to put Kovacic in there as well, potentially four. But, you know, it's, it's a three-on-three -three situation. Uh, Trossard takes the ball from Jesus. Jesus runs into the box, pulls in a blue shirt. Um, you've then got Shaka out wide, who's 
you know, clear of space. He then picks up the ball. He's allowed to look up, have as much time as he wants. Again, another really similar ball to the first goal. This time, Odegaard finds himself um, in the box. You could argue that, I think, is that Thiago Silva? Thiago Silva could do a little bit better, but, you know, he's none the wiser. I guess he's unaware that Odegaard is there. It's more maybe Sterling's responsibility to, you know, do a little bit more um, to put him off. But another really good finish. Arsenal 2-0 up and cruising. And then when does um, Jesus score? Does he score three minutes? Three, three minutes, minutes after, three minutes later. And, you know, a bit of a comical goal. Um, but again, just shows the brute ruthlessness of the way that we were attacking. Um, what did you make of that goal? Because the second goal was the brilliance down the left-hand side. In this case, it was reflecting that on the right-hand side, wasn't it? Yeah, the, the second goal, I think, just came at it. The third goal came at the perfect time. I think their heads dropped slightly when they went 2-0 down, but then the minute the third goal went down, it really killed them off. But again, it was down to the minute we kicked off, we started with real intensity, and that build-up down the right, just they they couldn't live with us at all down there. And uh, Saka was causing a lot of problems for Chilwell throughout the game. He was really really challenging him in that battle and I think by the time the goal came it was a scrappy goal in the end and it was one of those you were looking at and thinking kind of half expecting it to go out for a corner and then it was a decent finish from Jesus but again it was it was a result of very good team play down the right and uh, it was a contrast to what we've seen in recent weeks as well, where Ben White, Odegaard and Saka just haven't really got clicking. And um, so, yeah, really refreshing to see that. So what what were your thoughts on the goal itself? Which one we talking about? The third one, yeah? The third one, yeah. The third one for me, um, I mean, you really have to admire again, once again, the work from Ben White, because... Um, I think what's been missing in the last few weeks is that really nice connection, that interplay between him and Saka. But I felt like that was back. Um, they were abusing that space on the right hand side. You know, walk at some at some moments playing at walking pace, but somehow managing to make great strides into the Chelsea box with ease. Um, and you know, Ben White again with another fantastic delivery you shouldn't take away from that that goal despite it being sloppy that initial delivery from Ben White to to put it into the back post um into Jesus lays it into Shaka shots blocked by Fafana who kind of falls and stumbles and you know they make a real meal meal, meal of it um but Jesus taps it in and you know it, despite it being one of those kind of tapping goals it, it is it just shows it reaffirmed to me that look we've put this city game in the back of our heads now and it, it also showed me some level of maturity we almost needed that city defeat we almost needed to be reminded it was very similar to if you remember back to last season where we had uh, a spell of dominance like there were you know five or six games where we were playing really really well um we were 
we had some real real good momentum and then we we played Liverpool and then they kind of blew us away. I can't remember what the scoreline was, but that was a reality check. And I remember Arteta mentioned in this uh, in the press conference that was yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. I think that that Liverpool game that was the two 0 last season at the Emirates where mm. we we had them. First half was one of the best halves of football we've played against a big team. And that was actually one of the moments that made me really believe. But you're right. It, it, there are real similarities here to that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that that was a moment where we, we kind of needed to look at ourselves and say, look, guys, we're good, but we're not that good. We're not them. And we need to be like them. And since then, we've done whatever we needed to do in the summer. We've come back. We've reinvented ourselves. But yet, that City defeat showed us, it was a massive reality check. We're not them. We're not there yet. We've still got loads to do. And it's so refreshing having, you know, after that third goal, it was a real message to me that we know we're not good enough, but we're still going to go and do the necessary work in order to be there. So, you know, there's a lot of, um, I don't know if you want to call it, toxic conversations or negativity but there's a lot happening on Twitter on the internet in WhatsApp group conversations about if Arsenal bottle it this season do they have the capacity do they have the ability to go again next season because next season we know Chelsea will come back we know Liverpool will be there we know United are going to strengthen who knows whether Spurs might even uh, be up there too but that third goal for me showed me that it doesn't matter what other clubs do I know that my club is going to continue to get better because they have the correct mindset the right attitude um, and it's, it's just such a well-built system um, from top to bottom you, you can just you can feel it and I'm sure when you were at the Emirates you felt that sense of there's something special happening here there's, yeah, you know, that, that feeling of togetherness, that feeling of the, 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 the club's crest had something beautiful. You know, there's something magical, right? Um, so, yeah. And then, you know, even after that third goal um, going into the second half, we still looked quite comfortable. We still had opportunities. Um, there was you know, a corner shipped in the box by Trossard. Gabriel's header cleared off the line uh, by Thiago Silva. Again, another chance. Uh, delightful, I think is uh, Odegaard into Jesus. Um, it, it was like a counter-attacking move where Odegaard passes it to Jesus. He's holding the ball up, passes it back to Odegaard, who plays it into Saka. Saka, I think, plays it back to Odegaard, passes it to Shaka. His shot is then... Uh, I guess it forces a save from the keeper. Um, but the football continued. The theme continued and the confidence continued to grow. However, I was really disappointed that we didn't get a goal in the second half. Now, I don't know if I'm being too harsh on the boys, but I felt like if we are to truly get ourselves prepared and ready for Newcastle, we needed to really like, um, you know, blow this game out of the water, kind of make a real statement. I don't know how much that impacts the Newcastle game, but I guess from a fan's perspective, 
I want to feel good and I want to feel 100% ready going into the Newcastle game. I don't want any doubts at all. Um, and so not scoring in the second half for me was a little bit disappointing. Am I being too harsh or is it justified? No, I, I agree with you. I, I was disappointed we didn't get a goal, another goal, and I'm even more disappointed we conceded. Part of my thinking was, and again, I guess very similar to what you're saying, we've had some completely awful defeats over the years. The 6-0 Chelsea, um, City have banged five in against us a few times, even going back to the 8-2 at Old Trafford. I, I've always felt... It's... A, it's when we went 3-0 up, we went 3-0 up against Chelsea six years ago when Conte was there. Mm. And um, very similar timings of the goals as well. And it was one of those games that you look at it and you think, Arsenal could go on and win 5 or 6-0 here. This is our chance to make that statement against a big, big team and really lay down a marker that we're here and we've got that killer instinct. And that's something that I do think that we are still lacking slightly, where when we're 3-0 up, we take chances differently than we do when it's 0-0 or 1-0. And I, that again, that's the next step for us, is if we're 3-0 up, we go 4-0, 5-0, and we absolutely blow a team away. And I, I definitely would have been giving me a lot more confidence going into the Newcastle game than a 3-1 win. But at the same time, I think the main job tonight was three points. And ultimately, that's what we've come away with. It's strange, isn't it? Um, us Arsenal fans, you know, being disappointed, not disappointed of a 3-1 result, but I never thought that we'd come to a place where we are having real conversations about how to get from being 3-0 up to 5-0 up. Um, it's just it's, it's, just, it's a luxury it's weird for me right like at, at a time where we were struggling to grind out three points we're now at a point where we're killing teams in periods of the game we're managing to score two three goals but then something happens and you know it gets awfully cagey and I think you know Arteta made that point as well the next step of our progression is to figure out how we become ruthless, how we try and be City 2.0, if you want to call it that. Um, and I, I do think, though, having certain individuals on the bench helps. Like, you know, Trossard for Martinelli is a great change. Um, but then there was other changes, like, you know, Reese Nelson coming on later on, um, Gabriel having to come off for holding. And so... You know, the reason why City are who they are is because it doesn't matter how many injuries they have or it doesn't matter whether a key player is out of suspension. They've always got like for like. They've always got someone who comes on and just replicates the performance of the previous player. Um, I don't know whether it's worth talking about the goal that we conceded. I think Madweke was great overall for them um, and deserved, deservedly gets his goal. But actually, yeah, I do, I do think it's worth talking about this goal because there's an individual yeah. who I want to, yeah. And, and you know, I'm I, we've got this family group chat um, where, you know, when it's Arsenal, when it's game day, we're all on it. We're all discussing and analysing and criticising. And um, one of my uncles was at the game. And, you know, as soon as Zinchenko made a mistake, he was right on it. 
Um, so before the goal is conceded, though, he makes a pass straight into a Chelsea shirt, manages to defend it by headering the ball out. But it seems to me that Zinchenko's always got a mistake in him in every game. It gets covered up by the fact that he does everything else brilliantly. But this is getting a little bit out of hand now. Um, is can we can we overlook these mistakes because he's so technically gifted because he adds so much else in his game? Yeah, well, I I actually had a good think about this and I had a chat with my dad about it on the way back from the game as well, and um, it's I, I Zinchenko is a player that I I love. I I think he's fantastic. I think he's made me look at football differently. I think he's added something so unique to Arsenal that I, there aren't many other players on the planet could do, but you're right. He always has that mistake in him. And that was exactly what I said. It was a case of it's. it'll be that one pass when there's no pressure on him where he just switches off. And it's that one that you're talking about. That was a huge moment where it was we were in complete control and he it was a very, very poor pass. And it's not the first time he, he's done it. He had a big mistake at Villa when uh, Ollie Watkins scored. Hmm. And he's done it on numerous occasions this season. But looking at his numbers here, again, 91% of his passes completed, 77 passes, 58 of 64 passes completed. Um, he won three of five ground duels and all three of his aerial duels. So... I think he had a very good game defended in the air against Matuidi, and overall, I think he did have a good game. But it is those; it was the mistake that led to that chance that was just pure sloppiness, and then switching off for the goal. That's inexcusable. And again, with Sinchenko, he's one of the more experienced players in the side. But part of what we probably have to remember with Sinchenko is. He's never been a player that's played this many games in the season. Mm. So in the way that we give Saka and Odegaard and so on, that, I guess, naivety pass when it comes to the business end of the season, Zinchenko's got this whole kind of, his whole thing is being this leader. That's how he's come into Arsenal. He's very vocal, passionate and fiery and so on. But he probably... I guess, overstates his experience a bit. And uh, I remember I saw an interview with Jesus a few weeks ago and he was talking about Zinchenko at City and he told him his medals didn't count because he only played 10 games in four years. And uh, I, I guess there is something in that because he has never been as central to a side as he is now. And uh, But it, those mistakes, the... Some of them are inexcusable and some of them come down to concentration and switching off. And I think he's a player that can become complacent very, very easily. And sometimes it takes one of those mistakes to waken him up. And that's something that I don't want to see. I don't want to see us being wakened up by a chance that the opposition are given or potentially a goal. I want to see that concentration for 90 minutes. And... I think it's something he can cut out because it it's happening maybe once a game. It's not happening multiple times a game. And I think there are other games where he's great throughout the game, no mistakes, but 
those very, very fine mistakes, you almost see them coming as well. Like that chance today, the the, the sloppy pass that we're talking about. Hmm. What, before it happened, was that one of those that you thought, I saw that coming? I think now we, we're expecting... Yeah, I mean, look... <laughs> It's, it's, it's a difficult thing to speak about because, you know, as I mentioned before, for what he has in his locker room, um, it's rare to find that in a fullback. And so I almost want to give him that pass of, okay, fine, I will accept a mistake or two. Um, and, you know, I was thinking about this actually when the fourth goal went in. Can I excuse it knowing that we can get away from a game having one free one and that odd mistake by Zinchenko has conceded a goal, but we've ended up winning the game. I guess it's too early to tell. Um, but, you know, to answer your question, yes, I do see a mistake in Zinchenko like I did always see a mistake in David Luiz. A weird comparison to make, but... Yeah, I I see that. Yeah, like, you know, David Luiz is an excellent defender. He can, you know, um, pull it out of the bag for you, but he's always got that iffy moment in him. And so maybe he grows out of it. Maybe you're right. Maybe it is a case that he's, this is the first season where he's playing this amount of games. He just needs that exposure. Or maybe he needs to be managed better. Maybe he needs, and if it is to be believed that, um, you know, Tierney's going to be moving on. Maybe we need a really defensive fullback who can, um, you know, come in into the games, into moments of the games where it's needed. I don't know. I don't know. I guess it's it's too it's too early to tell. But um, from where I stand now, I think I can let it slide. <laughs> Yeah, and I think with um, the type of fullback, it almost depends what Arteta is willing to use. So we we could we've got a Tierney who's a very solid defender, particularly one on one, but that's not what Arteta wants him to do. And right now, that role highlights all Tierney's weaknesses and expo and kind of highlights none of his strengths. So I, I think that's probably what it'll come down to with who we sign is the kind of fullback that Arteta is willing to use. Is he willing to give up that control in midfield? Mm. Or uh, is he going to want a like a very Zinchenko-like player playing in there? The, the other option is um, Kivior could potentially slot in there and get later in games because before this season, he played as a midfielder. So he he's someone who's going to be more comfortable in a slightly more advanced area, but you've also got that big physical presence of a centre-back. So who knows? It could be that we've already got a solution within the, the squad that um, that will work. However, if Tierney goes, we absolutely still need to add another body in there. We can't just do a KVR can play centre-back and left-back or hold him in fin. it we need the bodies as well yeah yeah okay just on the topic of um potential you know casualties or or, or filling in missing positions um we had gabrielle come off um 
he he looked to be suffering quite a bit over the course of the game. I think he went down four times um, until in the 85th minute they decided to bring him off. I haven't heard or I don't think we've got any updates on what it is. Um, at one point he was holding his hamstring. Then it was, I think, the calf. Um, this doesn't look great because we're forced into plain holding. But in preparation for, um, you know, Newcastle and Brighton, in hindsight, do you think Arteta should have taken him off earlier? I would have been scared to take him off earlier. I think when he came off, the momentum had pretty much gone from the game. Yeah. And But there were times when Chelsea were coming at us and I thought if they get a goal, this is going to be a really horrible 10 minutes. But uh, I thought Gabriel was a big part of why they didn't get back into it. And it was just one of those really full-blooded performances from and why we love him. Mm. But yeah, he was holding his hamstring at one point, right at the top of his hamstring, which I'm hoping was maybe a, like a dead leg or something where he's been kneed in the back as he's gone for a header, something like that. But he seemed to shake that off quite quickly, which is unusual if you've picked up, done anything to your hamstring. Mm. Um, then there was something with his calf or something like that. And then there seemed to be something to his ankle. He, it was from a challenge right before he went off, but he had signaled to the bench. So Holding went off to warm up and Gabriel had signaled that he needed to come off. And uh, I'm hoping that it was just a kick and he needed to come off for that. But you're right, <laughs> because there were multiple things within the game and obviously Saliba's out, it was kind of that bittersweet. KVR had a really good game. Looked like we found a solution to not have to play holding. And then Gabriel goes down and holding ends up on the pitch. So, yeah, I, I haven't seen any updates on it. But hopefully tomorrow it's going to be good news. And mm. he's back against Newcastle. Just on Kivior though, um, you know, coming to the end of the of the game, how do you assess his overall performance. I mean, you know, to play 90 minutes against Chelsea is a pretty big deal. Um, so, yeah, how, how, how do you kind of see his performance as he grew into the game? I thought he was very good. As, as I said earlier, first five, I thought he was a bit shaky. But after that, he settled very, very quickly. And you had mentioned about the kind of 25, 30 minutes of that settling period of not making any mistakes and so on. I think from probably 20 minutes, he was taking one or two touches and he looked com comfortable on his right or left foot. And I'll be honest, I haven't even watched much scouting material of KVR. Hmm. So I don't know much about him. The only thing I've actually seen is videos of him pinging passes all over the pitch. And, uh, Tonight, I could see him Sorry. as a real. Sorry. <laughs> Are you still there? I'm sorry. Yeah, the, my <laughs> headphone just uh, disattached itself. So anything that you were saying for the past ten seconds, I didn't hear. Uh, no, I was saying that um, he basically. Once he settled into the game, mm. we could see the ball playing ability he had. It was one or two touches. And that's the big thing that I've said since the leave has been out. 
holding, we, we talked about it last week, holding takes five or six touches before passing. And I think that's gone into Ramsdale's game where mm. he was taking extra touches. The Southampton goal, Ramsdale takes about six touches when one would have done. But tonight, KVR got the ball, opened his body, swept it to Gabriel, or and he was comfortable moving it. Saliba has this rare ability that he can play great vertical passes that cut through players. He can skip out like Thomas Pardy and go straight to Odegaard. Mm. And that's incredible, but that's extremely unique. However, just having a centre-back that's not necessarily playing those passes, but is prepared to move it quickly, that just moves the opposition around it. Uh, it makes it more difficult to press. And not that Chelsea pressed very well, but when they did, uh, he looked really composed on the ball. And the whole right-sided centre-back as a left-footer, I quite liked some of the angles that were created for him because he looked very comfortable on the ball. I think if it was a kind of more or a less mobile, less technical passer of the ball, that would be a real issue. However, he seems quite light on his feet and he's got a good touch. He moves it quickly. And yeah, all in all, I was very impressed with how he played and I'm excited to see more of him off the back of that. So where do you stand on him? Yeah, pretty much agree with you. I think he grew into the game. Um, what I really liked about him is his confidence in possession and he had a really good measured approach when pressing, um, especially, you know, uh, dealing with aerial threats there. Yeah, there was a there was a, a sense of some sense of calm. I mean, I, I definitely felt more assured in him than holding going for a ball. So that was good. Um, and I guess it helped that he had experience around him like Jorginho, Shaka. Gabriel as well and you know the beginning of the game you notice that Gabriel having a real word with him just reassuring him do the basics right and I'm you know I'm right here for you I, I imagine that's what he was saying um but yeah it, it it was nice to see that he didn't make any major errors um because I think for a player of his age and for a period right now where he is essentially trying to cement himself in the squad um those things kind of make or break a player. And yeah, to, to, to come away from a Chelsea game, this could be a really, really good stepping stone for him to cement himself as that third choice centre-back. Um, now, Adam, swaying away from this game, um, I couldn't quite believe it myself when I realised that there's four games to go, which is really bizarre because... City still have six, I believe it is. Um, two more games and those two, I don't know why, make it sound a lot more, you know, it's only two more games, but for some reason, number six sounds a lot more, um, you know, larger than, 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 than four games. I mean, four games is essentially four weekends. So... How are we feeling? We've got Newcastle, then Brighton, and then the last two games are Nottingham Forest and Wolves. Now, I'm hoping Forest... Um, where, where are they in the league table? Let's just pull the table up because this will be interesting to see. I don't know where I'm jumping the gun. Probably am. But... Forest are 18th. And right. They're going to be fighting for everything. 
So 18th with four games to go, three until they face us. Um, Premier League table. They, they, I mean, the game, what was their last uh, game? I think they managed to get a point, did they? Or no, they lost. Yeah, they lost yeah. to Brentford two one. Um, okay, could be quite interesting. I reckon they'd still they'll still be fighting for a place when they play us. But certainly the next two games, Newcastle and Brighton, big big ones. Especially Newcastle away. Spoke about Kivio's good performance. We spoke about you know the the, the changes that Arteta made. Um, what what are you hoping for going into the Newcastle game? for us not to beat ourselves. So I, I was at the game last year at St. James's Park mm. and we looked terrified when we came out on that pitch. So St. James's was absolutely rocking that night and if those players think that the atmosphere is was loud that night, it's going to be 10 times louder on at the weekend. So yeah, my big thing is that we go out we do the old cliche, we silence the crowd, but most importantly, we just don't beat ourselves. No stupid mistakes, and we we play our game. When we play our game, we can beat anyone. And I think that was part of what happened at City. We didn't play our game. We didn't look we didn't look ourselves. And that's the big thing. It's kind of hopefully Gabrielle's fit. I've, I've just seen an update that he says he's a doubt. However, that's very Arteta. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's not going to say no, he's 100%. I think he's only ever said that about Saka. But um, yeah, it's very much for me. Go out, don't make any stupid mistakes and don't make Newcastle beat us. If They've got real quality. Isaac's in great form. Uh, some of the stuff he's doing on a football pitch is incredible. Bruno's a great player. Willick's really performing for them. Mm-hmm. And um, they're solid at the back. They're, they're, they're not as solid as they were at the start of the season. They're, they're winning games by big margins, but they, they are conceding the odd goal. Whereas before Christmas, they were really kind of... They, they were rock solid. They hadn't conceded in something like eight or nine games. And so for me, it's go out, do what we do, don't worry about them. Do what we do. And if we do that, we can beat them. Um, they're a good side, but they're not on our level. And for me, it's a case of going into that game with our with our confidence high. And with that win tonight, hopefully we do go in like that because I, that was a London derby at the end of the day. There's still very good players in that Chelsea team. Mm. And um, like Kovacic is being linked to City for a reason. There is quality in that team that they're just not a team. But that win will hopefully give the players the belief back because when you're down, the thing you need is a win. It doesn't have to be a 5-0 win like the fans want. But for the players getting three points that's what really makes you believe again. So, so yeah, what are, what are those kind of standouts for you ahead of Newcastle? Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that for me is the, the standout of the four, obviously. Um, and if we do end up getting the three points there, I think we go on to win the next 
the last three games. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think it is a case of just turning up with the right attitude, right mentality. Um, I would like to see players with high confidence playing. So I'd probably start Trossard again. Um, I don't know about Partey. I think Partey is a big question mark. I know when he's at his best, he's unplayable. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm going to let Arteta, you know, take the rein on that. But I just feel like if we can play without the added pressure like we did tonight, we'll be fine. But St. James's Park is a really difficult place. Um, and I think Granite Shaka mentioned it in his post-match interview, reminding us and himself of um, what that atmosphere did to them. You know, essentially put them off. Um, and, you know, Newcastle arrived with more hunger, more desire. They've cemented themselves in that third place. So I don't know how much more motivation they play with, but I'm hoping that Arsenal edge it um, just a little bit. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. it'll be interesting. Uh, I, I think with uh, St. James's last season, the atmosphere and their performance surprised us. Yeah. And uh, I've been to St. James's a lot of times over the years, from the championship to Arsenal away games. I've done pretty much every game at St. James's for the last... 14 years hmm. but last season was the first time there was an atmosphere at St James's um, it, that ground has been flat for years they've been they were desperate for Ashley to sell the club Yeah, there was a horrible atmosphere around now, if you think Arsenal was toxic th the way Newcastle was for so long like, they'd still turn up on, with large crowds every week they'd still support their team they hated it. They really, really hated it. I have a, a lot of mates that are Newcastle fans. And uh, it's it's just a complete contrast. The whole city's been lifted. But I think with that, Arsenal aren't going to go into next weekend being surprised by the atmosphere. They're going to expect that. They also saw the quality of Newcastle whenever we played them at the Emirates. Mm. They are playing more attacking football than they were they played that night. And I think we're not going to be surprised. We're going to go in prepared for that. And we're going to go in ready for a battle. And my hope is we get three points. And I believe we'll win the next three after that if we get three points at St. James's. But ultimately, if this team can match the Invincibles points total, I don't care what anyone says. That's an incredible yeah. season. And one that we would have been beaten by... Just a, an incredible winning machine. Absolutely. Backed by incredible financial power. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so look, with four games to go, a uh, lot to fight for, still a lot to play for, um, and hopefully another three points. Uh, but look, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, we've been chatting on for a while now. It's past midnight. Still need to get the episode out. So um, I want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's been listening up until this point. Thank you very, very much. If you did enjoy this episode, please do give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter um, at AskTherapyPod. Go and follow Adam over there as well at AdamKeys underscore. You can find me over there as well at Gunnar since 96. And as always, we will be back for the next 
episode for the next game against Newcastle, um, where hopefully another three points. But until then, have yourselves a very good week and we'll speak to you then. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you.